So are you happy with the person you're becoming? That was the question I raised to a good friend in a conversation we were having a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) I raised it because of an interaction I'd had with my wife a few days before. Uh, Connie and I were out doing a project in our backyard, and in the course of that project, I barked out some orders to my lovely wife. Yeah. Now, my intentions were good. I was trying to prevent something bad from happening to her. My words were well-intentioned. My good intentions came off like I was a drill sergeant, and she was a new inductee. Maybe more appropriately, came off like I was the parent, and she was the child. My initial words and the ones that followed were received about as well as you're imagining they were right now. So I had a lot of alone time that afternoon to contemplate my words and my actions and to contemplate the question that's in front of you right now. And contrary to your assumption, I was the one who thought of the question, do I like the person I'm becoming? In my denial and my frustration, I thought to myself, I'm really not that bad of a person for where I am at midlife. (laughs) And I thought, people don't live to be 108. Denial meets reality. See, the the heart-rending truth about humans is that we seem hardwired to replay our past, especially those things that involve disappointment and pain. For me, what I heard coming out of my mouth that Saturday afternoon... I've done that a lot. I seem to repeat it over and over again and wound the people that I love a lot. All that stuff that I seem to have put behind me, it seems to keep popping its head up in my life over and over again. Got any struggles in your life that you repeat any pain that you seem to wander into or run into over and over again. What that afternoon reminded me very pointedly of is that I'm a messed up person. And I live in a messed up world with lots of messed up people. We all know that. I mean, in our quiet moments... I think every one of us realizes that there are parts of us that we'd like to change. But what we also realize is that we have enough life experience to know that that change isn't going to come on our own. We've tried that enough to know it. We know that if we have any hope of making deep and lasting changes in our life, it's going to take something more than just acting on our own. Well, happy Father's Day, everybody. 
and glad you're here this morning. Um, I always feel like I need to do a disclaimer when somebody like Danielle gets up and goes, the message was really great in first service. It was really just average. Um, so anything beyond that is bonus for you. Uh, we're doing a two-part series now called Let Hope In for the next two weeks. It's kind of a follow-up to Darry's, Darren's series on uh, sin and grace. And it's how do we make some real and lasting changes once we've let grace into our lives. And so posing the question this morning about why do we keep making those same mistakes over and over in our lives and how do we get to some change? And so why do we make those mistakes? Is it because we're just not disciplined enough in our lives? Or is it because we don't really want change badly enough? Well, certainly the answer to those two questions could be yes, that could be part of it. But I think that the answer to some of the problem may be much deeper than that. When we're not getting what we want in life, not making the changes we want to make, maybe one of the causes could be that our behavior is rooted in the stuff we're carrying with us from our past. Past experiences, past relationships, past pain has a way of marking us deeply. The scars that all that leaves behind impact the way that we think, the way we behave. And whether our pain is really close to the surface or it's buried deeply in our heart, if we don't properly deal with what's happened in our past, all that junk can cripple us from becoming what God has really created us to be. God makes it clear that once we've accepted His grace, He wants to reshape us. He wants to renew us. 2 Corinthians 5 says that any one of us who has accepted God's grace belongs to Christ. We've become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The $5 theological word for that is sanctification. It's the process of making us holy, making us like Jesus. But where grace happens instantaneously, we're forgiven, everything's gone and done with. The idea of becoming like Jesus, <laughs> that's a lifetime project. We're constantly being shaped into his image. And in that process of being shaped, we have choices we have to make. And one of the big choices we're going to talk about today is this. If we don't learn to transform the pain from our past, we're just going to transfer it into our future. At this point in my life, I've realized every single person that I meet has been hurt in some way. And so everybody needs healing. Some of us have been hurt worse than others, but nobody gets out of this life without some emotional bruising. And it and if we haven't dealt with that hurt from the past, it's going to continue to impact everything we touch. So what about you? Where have you been hurt? Maybe it was a broken marriage you went through or some sexual abuse you suffered. Maybe it was that surprise divorce that your parents got. Maybe it was a miscarriage that you experienced. Or it's an overbearing, critical parent that was a part of your childhood, might even still be an overbearing, critical parent today in your adult life. For me, one of the biggest pain periods in my life was the period where I worked with an, 
a manipulative, scheming boss that I had 20 years ago happened to be a senior pastor in a church where I served. He undermined me at almost every turn in my life. He worked against me with the leadership of the church, with the staff I served with, and even down to the level of my personal friends in that church. And when I discovered what he was doing, I began trying to undo the damage to salvage my reputation, my work relationship in the church. It was too late. The damage had already been done. And I ended up, in the end, just resigning and leaving that church. Now, for me, the result of that relationship 20 years ago in my life is that I can still find myself flinching in leadership relationships in my life. I have for the past 20 years. Even when it's not their fault, even with the leaders here in this church, I have to monitor my feelings. I have to watch what's going on inside of me or my actions will reflect that past pain. Leadership here has been phenomenal to work with. I've never had a bad experience here. But in conversations, my emotions can rise. I can react wrongly because of a past painful experience. I can transfer that past pain into this present relationship and damage what's going on now because of something that happened 20 years ago. Let me say it another way. If our past isn't our past, it's still going to impact our present. One of my favorite stories in Scripture that illustrates this is Joseph in the Old Testament. and He had a very rough past. Genesis chapter 37 tells us that he was born uh, to Jacob. And Jacob had lots of sons, but Joseph was his favorite. And he made that very clear with the rest of Joseph's brothers, which immediately created jealousy. Uh, Here's a parenting tip for you on Father's Day, dads. If you have a favorite child, it's probably in your best interest and the best interest of your child not to make that really apparent. (laughs) Joseph's father, Jacob, did just the opposite. Genesis tells us that in a day when uh, earth tones were the prevailing color for people to wear, I mean, drab grays and browns, that's all they had, Jacob created this fantastic, beautiful coat for Joseph. I mean, he put into it colors that only the royalty wore. It was this beautiful, multicolored coat. Um, History tells us that that coat was actually handed down to Donny Osmond to wear on Broadway. (laughs) He gave him this beautiful coat as a sign of favor. When he put it on, it said... I'm dad's favorite child. I'm the chosen one. I'm the best. Jacob might as well have just taken some paint and painted a bullseye right in the center of Joseph's forehead. Because what happened in short order was that Joseph's brothers caught him out in the field alone, beat the snot out of him, threw him in a pit, and were thinking about killing him. But instead sold him to a band of merchants that were passing by as a slave. Then they had to figure out what to tell Dad. And so they just simply concocted a story that he had been killed by a wild animal and told Jacob that his son that he loved so much was dead. 
That would have been a devastating event to happen to any young person, to be beaten, thrown in a pit, and sold to slaves. But can you imagine it happening at the hand of your siblings? Being in the bottom of that pit, looking up and seeing the faces of your brothers laughing at you. The rejection of his brothers would only be the beginning for Joseph. Genesis 39 tells us that that band of merchants ended up in Egypt. Joseph was sold on the auction block, ended up being a servant in Potiphar's household. And Potiphar was uh, one of the officials in Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, one of the officials in Pharaoh's household, in his court. He was sold on the auction block, and apparently he does fairly well, because where we pick up the story in Genesis 39... Joseph is the most trusted individual in Potiphar's household. He is, everything is left to his care. So much so, uh, Genesis says, that with Joseph in charge, Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now, Joseph, it says, was well-built and handsome. And after a while, the master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, she said, come to bed with me. But Joseph refused. He said, with me in charge, my master doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. Everything in this house, he's trusted to me, except for you, because you're his wife. No one is greater in this house than me. My master's not withheld anything from me. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph had great wisdom in that. He knew that this sexual sin was not ultimately against his master or against his master's wife. It was ultimately about his relationship with God. And then the Bible goes on to say that Joseph also had great wisdom because he knew that she was going to be persistent. It says, and so she spoke to Joseph every day trying to get him to go to bed with her. And he refused And he refused to even be with her, even be close to her, even be in the house with her. One of the great theologian, Martin Luther, wrote some very deep, profound things. I've said this before here. But one of the things that I remember most that he said that's most applicable to life for me is this. He said, if your head's made of butter, don't sit near the fire. Joseph was like, seriously? After a certain amount of time... Even your strongest values can get broken down. So I'm just not even going to go in the house where she is. But look what happens. One day, coincidentally, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. So his master's wife caught him by his cloak. I just wonder if it was the same one that was a source of pride for him as a child. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. And with no other way to escape, he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Realizing he was never going to give in, she had his cloak in her hand. He ran out of the house. She called all the servants in the house and said, Look, this Hebrew has been brought in to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. She took this like high moral ground stance. 
framed Joseph, and without a trial, without any chance to defend himself, had him thrown into prison. And he was just forgotten there. He was left to wonder day after day why these things keep happening to his life. Why do his brothers hate him and sell him into slavery? Why does this woman pursue him, and even though he takes the high moral ground, he gets accused falsely and thrown into prison? It's enough to make you throw your hands up and go, Why, God? Why do I even try to follow you? And all these bad things keep happening to me. Why do I even try to do what's right? Ever been there? He spends years in prison. And then through a remarkable series of events, Joseph finds himself standing in front of Pharaoh, interpreting a dream that Pharaoh's had that no one else is able to interpret. And as a result of his wisdom, he's not only released from prison, but he's invited to be one of Pharaoh's officials. And eventually he works his way up to being second in Egypt only to Pharaoh himself. While Joseph is helping lead Egypt, all of the Middle East endures a dramatic drought that causes a famine in the entire Middle East. This is part of the dream that Joseph interprets. As he's handing out grain that has been stored up for the drought, Joseph's brothers make this journey that's hundreds of miles from Israel to Egypt where that's the only place that has food. His brothers. The ones who are responsible for so much of the pain in his life are now standing in front of him seeking food for their families back in Israel. And after all these years, he recognizes them They don't recognize him. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. How would you react in that situation? You got all this pain that you've had in your life, and now your brothers are standing in front of you. Your life could have been very different. Your mind is reeling with all you've missed. Your mind is reeling with the fact that your younger brother, your younger brother who you've not seen, Is he still alive? Because he's not with him. What about your dad who's not with him? Is he still alive? Got a list in your mind of things that you'd like to see your brothers experience as a result of your pain? Maybe you'd like to see them grovel just a little bit. Anybody there? Maybe you'd like to see them beg for some forgiveness. Maybe spend just a little bit of time in the prison cell that you spent years in. Just get some perspective in their life, on what happens when you treat people badly. In moments like that in our lives, we have choices to make. Will we transfer the pain from our past into the present, or will we let God transform that pain and take a completely different path with our lives? It's not easy. The full story of what happens in Genesis, covers multiple chapters. And to be honest, (laughs) Joseph does mess with his brothers just a little bit. But in the end, we find Joseph unveiling himself, saying, this is who I am. And when his brothers realize who's standing in front of them and the authority he has, they fall on their faces. They grovel. But he quickly looks at them and has them stand to their feet. 
he walks down, he looks them in the eye, and he takes what I like to call a 50-20 view, because the verse comes from Genesis 50-20. But it's this long view, not a 20-20, seeing things like people do, but a 50-20 view, a longer range view. He takes this view that's completely different in that moment. And he looks at them and he says, I know that what you did to me, you meant for evil. But God, but God meant it for good. He didn't try to deny his past. He didn't try to deny all the pain, all the heartache that it had caused in his life. He didn't try to pretend that his brothers never hurt him deeply. But somewhere in that entire journey, Joseph had found the grace to grieve what had happened, to forgive what had happened. And rather than transfer all that pain into this present experience, he let God transform it. He let it go. There's no way around the things that have happened to us in our past. No matter how hard we might try, we can't erase our past. And that's not really the point. I think what God wants for us in relationship to our past is just simply to understand it. To deal with the pain so that it doesn't destroy our present or our future. I'll be honest, I'm one of those people that has really difficult time letting go of things. <laughs> uh, my garage would testify to that. I've got bins full of stuff in my garage, about 40 bins to be exact. I have bins full of old tools and electronics that I haven't used in close to a decade. I've got a bandsaw in my garage that hasn't worked for 15 years that I keep thinking I'll get to. I actually moved it to this house and it wasn't working. Why I didn't just get rid of it when we moved? I don't know. I just hang on to old, outdated, useless junk. In our emotional world, I think we all have a tendency to do the same thing. We have a tendency to hang on to outdated thoughts. Disturbing memories. Or we cling to sentimental parts of our past that somehow feel too meaningful to abandon. Want a little jog your memory to help you understand that you do this? Ever been driving down the road, hear a song on the stereo? And instantly it takes you back to a time where you were bruised or wounded or devastated? Or maybe it takes you back to a time in your life when you were living in a way that you would just as soon forget. Suddenly you're listening to it and all those painful memories come flooding back into your life. When that happens, all we have to do is reach over and change the channel. Sometimes we just listen. Why is that? Why are we so drawn to the past and all its pain? There's an ancient Egyptian proverb about archers that says, the marksman hits his target 
partly by pulling and partly by letting go. It's much the same in our lives with our pain. We get a really good start on transforming our pain by pulling all the lessons we can from painful experiences. We look at the regret and the pain and the heartache, learn everything we can from it, and then we let it go. We surrender the pain and the heartache to God and let Him heal it. Now, I don't want to minimize the pain in your life. I don't want to minimize anything that you've been through because I know that your pain is real. I know that it hurt. And I know that God knows every single tear that you've shed over what you've been through. But I also know that we have a God who loves you incredibly and He wants to take that painful experience and transform that pain. He wants to give you a new life, to give you hope and a future. I look at Joseph's life and I look at a life that nobody would have planned. God did not plan that life for Joseph. For him to go from his father's favorite son to a slave in Egypt. From Potiphar's favorite servant to prison. To Pharaoh's chief official. He had to have this roller coaster of emotions. He had to have whiplash from everything he'd been through in his life. And we have this tendency to hear his story or read his story in Genesis and think, yeah, but it all worked out in the end. We know that because we know the end of the story. Joseph lived that story every single day, not knowing if his life was going to end in slavery, not knowing if his life was going to end in jail. From where he lived that every single day, it didn't look so good, but he chose to let hope in. He chose to let God transform his pain and bring healing in the midst of the pain. He had a lot of reasons to get angry at God, at his family, at his friends, at every single person who betrayed him along the way. But all that pent-up anger will do is feed on itself and make us bitter. It will infect and destroy our relationships, and in the end, it will wreck our life. It will cause our past to ruin our present and our future. I believe God calls us to take a longer view like Joseph did, to take those times as best we can when we wonder what in the world is happening in our life, and spend them allowing God to transform our pain. Teach us to trust Him more. To make us stronger. To make us better. To give us that 50-20 vision, which says, God, I know that they may have intended this to harm me, but I know you can use this for my good. So what about you this morning? Got any pain you're tired of carrying around? It's time to let it go. It's time to surrender it. 
It's time to let God transform it. It's time to let hope 